All right, all right. Uh, well, folks, a couple of months ago, a few months back, we sent our associate pastor, Chris Bowlby, and his wonderful family uh, to Coos Bay to become the lead pastors of Coos Bay Foursquare Church. And uh, today is Chris Bowlby's birthday. So I think we should send him a birthday greeting, all of us together. When I pan the camera by you, you wave. Why do we sing? Chris, I don't know how it's going to work. This is for you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chris. Happy birthday to you. All right. All right. Chris, I think you turned, I don't know how old you turned, 35, 30, 35, 35, something like that. All right. I guess you'll fill us in later. All right. I think I'll text it to him. Maybe we'll interrupt his own service and have a good chuckle right, right now. All right, Chris Bowlby, let's do that. All right. And there we go. Okay. We are disrupting other church services around the world. All right. That's what we do. Uh, yeah. Well, I want to say thank you to Pastor George for speaking last week. He's not here, but please tell him thanks. That was a great message uh, last week. And... <clears throat> As Danya mentioned, uh, we are beginning a new series going through the Jesus Story Book Bible. Uh, this is a wonderful tool that has been developed, and um, I just really uh, appreciate it. I'm moved to tears every time these stories are told. If you don't have um, a copy, I encourage you, you can buy it on Amazon. It's, uh, it's affordable and will be a good resource for you, as Danya said, kids and adults alike. Um, it really helps us to see that every story in the Bible is ultimately about Jesus. Many of the stories are directly about Jesus, and some are full of hints, or like Easter eggs, you know, Easter eggs, like, oh, wow, that's about Jesus, helping us to understand something about Jesus. Well, let's stand together. We'll read our scripture uh, this morning. <laughs> you just got comfortable, and, and uh, well, welcome to following Jesus. Okay. Let's read out loud, beginning at verse 25, all together, go. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The gospel of the Lord. You can be seated. That brief account was Jesus after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. These people were trying to figure out what was going on, and Jesus showed them how the scriptures point to himself. So question for you as we begin. The intro that we uh, listened to with that deep, resonant voice, wouldn't you like to have a deep voice like that? And those subs were like, oh, we're getting in on the action today, huh? Okay. <laughs> the intro suggested that we tend to think a Bible is either a collection of rules or a collection of heroes. And I, I just like for you, you don't, have to, don't, don't say it out loud, but what do you think the Bible is? 
What, or maybe what have you thought the Bible is? Um, yeah. Have that in your mind as we go through and describe how every story whispers the name of Jesus. Recently, I was um, listening to Philip Yancey's um, uh, memoir that he just published um, this last year. He's a prominent Christian author, and he was reflecting on his childhood growing up in church, and he discovered in young adulthood that the churches he grew up in focused on the Old Testament, and then also they focused on the epistles, which are like the letters written to the church, like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. They focused on those, but they didn't spend much time with the Gospels. They, they skipped over the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, didn't spend much time there, which are the accounts of Jesus, who is at the center of our Christian faith, Jesus Christ. Christian is what we are. Now, as a pastor, I was not surprised at all by that. I am convinced that many Christians are Jesus poor. Jesus has become like a mascot, a ma mascot. <laughs> See, I'm still working with English, guys. Yeah, it's, it's my one language and, well, good luck. Okay, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> as, as if Jesus was a mascot, or that mainly Jesus is the great transactor who has done something for us by dying on the cross for our sins. And while that is true, there's so much more to Jesus. He's the center of everything. Many Christians, I hear them approach their faith as if like Jesus were implied. Like he's there, he's, he's somewhere, he's vague, he's floating around somewhere in their theology and lives, mostly understood as just that one who paid the penalty for their sins so they can go to heaven. Yeah, that's a part of it, but there's so much more. As William said, bringing heaven to earth now. Jesus is our king now, not just then. Same yesterday, today, today and forever. There's, this whole series will help us to see that the whole of Scripture is it's about Jesus. Not all of it directly about Jesus, but it points to Jesus and is fulfilled by Jesus. Matthew 5, at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he, the Mount he's given these Beatitudes, and then he says to the listeners, don't misunderstand why I have come, referring to himself. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. In other words, the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish those. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law, or that's his Torah, his revelation, will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And then Jesus later, as we read, that has been fulfilled in me. We need to understand this. We need to be Jesus rich and not Jesus poor, saturated in Jesus, overflowing with Jesus. The world does not need for you and I to make up our own mind about what the Bible is about, but we need to be a people who know what the Bible is about. It's about Jesus. When we make the Bible a book of morality, or we make a Bible a book of rules or behavior, or we try to read it like stories of heroes with, with moral lessons, we are not what the Bible is about. We, we truncate and smash the Bible into being something that's just another religious text or a, a, 
a set of ordinances to live by. It's so much more. It's about the king of the whole universe. Can you tell I'm excited about this? Oh, man. The Bible is about God, revealed in Jesus Christ for the salvation of the whole world. Every story whispers his name. This means that over and over and over again, the Bible will reveal truth to us. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It will unseat us from our narrow thinking and perspectives. Have you noticed that everybody has a narrow thought and narrow perspective these days? We need Jesus who blows it all out of the water. And if we are willing, so we read the scriptures this way and we're presented with Jesus, we are, we are shifted into living according to the life that begets life, that begets life, the life we have in Jesus. So this morning, I encourage you, there's space on the back of your worship guide, to take notes. I am going to preach the whole Bible to you in the next 15 minutes or so. This is certainly the abridged version. But we are going to go, <laughs> well, I'm just going to point out how they all point towards Jesus. Are you ready? Buckle up. Okay. You got your note-taking device? Some, okay. Some of you, some of you do. All right. I guess that's between you and Jesus. So, <laughs> those pastor jokes, you can pull them out like once a year, twice a year, maybe, James. Yeah, once, a sermon for you. once a sermon for me, James says. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> okay, so each portion of the scriptures tells us some aspect of who Jesus is or points to Jesus in some way. And mind you, when we say Jesus, we mean God. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church, said that we only need to look upon Jesus, we only need to look upon Jesus, for the concept of God is too heady, it's too profound, but Jesus makes God discernible. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So take notes, with broad brushstrokes, here is some points to help you connect the various genres and sections of scripture to Jesus. Are you ready? Five, four, three, two, one. Going back to the beginning, Genesis. Jesus creates life. The creation account in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, tells us a lot about Jesus. We see the enormous creativity of God. We see the intention and purposefulness of God. We see the order of God. We see that God is not random, but he weaves beautiful harmonies over and over again. He causes all of his creation to work together to show his nature of love and life. God has, I like this word, verve. He has verve, he has boundless, endless creativity. Jesus comes on the scene, and what is one of the things he's noted for is healing the lame, for recreating people into his image and likeness, for putting back into order that which had been disordered. We see that in the very beginning. This is what God intended, life, and Jesus brings life again. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I've come that you might have life and have it in the full. Genesis points to Jesus. Exodus. Jesus is the great rescuer. We see in the account of Exodus, it's, it's all about the oppressed people of Israel being rescued 
by God from slavery. This book of Exodus affirms the reality that God sees those who are oppressed. God saves, that God opposes the proud, <laughs> but he gives grace to the humble. Exodus demonstrates God's rescuing love that culminates in Jesus rescuing the whole world on the cross of Calvary. Exodus points that God will not be thwarted by the empires of the world, but rather will subvert those empires to the end of bringing his son, King Jesus, to the forefront, rescuing all of humanity. Exodus whets our appetite for how God will continue to subvert the empires of the world and give grace to the humble and oppose the proud. Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Jesus cares about forming a society. Our impulse to form a good society, we see it in the scriptures. Numbers, Le Leviticus, and Deuteronomy might be intimidating for you to read. They're all about the creation of a society. Yes, there's laws, and there's rules, and there's counting of people, and there's record keeping, and there's instructions, and there's community ordinances. More of that order that we talked about God worked within a community. He made a community. He cares about the function of people together. He worked through relationship. He worked through the formation of a society. This tells us that God cares quite a bit about the formation of life together. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he formed a whole new society, a whole new community when he was here on earth. After his resurrection, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all flesh and a new community is formed, a community that transcends borders, that transcends language. It's the eternal community of God that is now here on earth again, a people who would love their neighbors, who would love the strangers and affirm the dignity of every person. Jesus formed that new community. Additionally, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy introduce us to how God forgives sinful people by the shedding of blood. Jesus will be the final sacrifice once and for all, the perfect atonement. The history books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Esther, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, the history books, this tells us that Jesus comes into real history. These books are describing the, the lineage, the people that came before Jesus. The reality is that Jesus' lineage was woven into a real people with a real past. These, these books, they tell the history of a people who were called by God. They, they tell us that God weaves himself into real lives. The history books read like our lives, flashes of brilliant faithfulness, but mostly accounts of broken people who are dim to the reality of God and what he requires of them. And what he requires of them is that they would be his children and he would be their God. And they are often dumb to this and deaf to this and unblinded to this and unable to see it because mostly what they see is the way of the world around them and they're constantly distracted into it. Again, these history books read like our lives. These lives that Jesus comes into. Jesus came into real history and he built a new history. Jesus is so important, you know this, that all of Western history predicates upon his death and his resurrection. Jesus changed history, but more poignantly, he builds a new history with the people who struggle with their faithfulness. Can you relate? Struggle with their fidelity to God. 
<laughs> in the same way, I mean, in, in the Old Testament, we, one of the heroes, I like anti-hero, is Jacob, whose name was Israel. The whole nation was named after him. But Jacob means deceiver, and he lived up to his name. He lived up to his name, and yet God uses him to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. The history books tell us that it's really not the story of our faithfulness. It's the story of God's faithfulness through it all. And we learn to see that culminated in Jesus. It points to Jesus who will redeem all things. Jesus comes into real history, actual history. Every aspect of the history books whispers the name of Jesus, a rescuer is coming. The hope that you feel will be validated as Jesus comes on the scene. The Psalms and the songs and the poems of the scriptures, they point to Jesus being fully human. And let me explain. These parts of the Bible affirm that human beings are created to create beauty, to make music, to pray openly, to be connected to God emotionally through the ups and through the downs. And all of this points to Jesus, Jesus who wept, Jesus who prayed profoundly, Jesus who was moved in his emotions, Jesus who pleaded, Jesus who exhibited angry anger, Jesus who cried out in pain and in longing. The Bible is full of these psalms. These are songs written to God. They are laments, they are complaints before God, their songs and these poems, they tell us that we are, cre we are created to create beauty, to make music, to pray openly, to connect genuinely with God. These aspects of the scriptures tell us that Jesus is not just a set of rational ideas, but rather he is heart and soul. He's not an abstract God, but he is God in the flesh. Consider how we, we, we read Jesus going to parties. Hello, somebody. Jesus turning water to wine. <laughs> Be careful with that one, right? <laughs> Jesus dining with sinners. Jesus is fully alive. And he's not just a passive, stoic, disconnected from the fullness of life as it is given to us in a way that we could say that Jesus was a man of the Psalms. If you read the Psalms as experiencing all of life, the ups and the deep downs, Jesus was this way. He lived a dynamic life. The life of the Christ follower is not just to be like stoic and self-controlled and just boring and holy, but rather to be fully alive in Jesus Christ. And the Psalms and the poetry of the Bible point us to the, the vivaciousness of life. Jesus came in the flesh and he experienced that. The prophets tell us that Jesus cares about the oppressed and calls power into account. The prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Micah and Jonah and Hosea. Jesus cares about the oppressed and calls power into account. The prophets point to Jesus. The prophets tell us something about Jesus. Some of the prophets tell us details in advance, like about where Jesus would be born or what he would be like. But even bigger than that, they show us that Jesus cares about oppressed people. Jesus cares a whole lot about unseen people. The prophets often sound grumpy because oftentimes the people who should have known better than to overlook widows and orphans and strangers often did forget. They often did fail to care about what God cares about, mercy and justice. Jesus, too 
too cared about the last, the lost, and the least. Jesus anonymously turned water into wine at a common wedding because he cared about normal people, regular people. He enlivened a typical event because he cares about normal people. Jesus healed lepers. These are the outcasts. These are the people you're afraid of getting disease from. Jesus narrowed his eyes, and he spoke sternly to religious stuffy types who probably had all of their life in order but have forgotten God's heart for mercy and love. Jesus gave dignity to otherwise unseen people, noisy children, rough around the edges, working types, anonymous sinners who may have only been seen by their mistakes. Jesus was prophetic like the prophets before him. He spoke truth into the world, even if that truth made powerful people hate him and eventually put him on a cross. The prophets point to Jesus, directly to Jesus, declaring what he'll be like, and then also helping us to understand God's heart for the poor, the oppressed, the taken advantage of. The wisdom literature, like Job and Ecclesiastes, the Proverbs. Jesus is the ultimate dispenser of wisdom and understanding. These point to Jesus being a brilliant teacher. When Jesus taught, people were amazed. The gospel writers often, the people were just amazed by his teaching and his wisdom. Jesus had the sort of insight about the nature of life that only, well, I guess God could have, because he is. Before Jesus arrived fully on the scene, we see wisdom literature written by some really smart people. The books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, some of the Psalms are full of the sorts of nuggets that point to living a wise and well-construed life. But the only point, they only point and hint at wisdom itself, Jesus Christ. Jesus was brilliant, not like a paunchy professor who knows all the right answers, but like a careful and witty sage who seems to have the right story to illustrate, the right question to ask, the right way to order your thoughts so that you're thinking about the right thing and not the unimportant things that clutter our thinking. When you read the wisdom literature of the Bible, consider Jesus' teaching. He truly taught with amazing, counterintuitive authority. The scriptures whisper the name of Jesus. In Jesus is wisdom and in truth. He opened the scriptures to them. He, he spoke nuggets of wisdom that remain. Even people that do not have, want anything to do with Jesus as God recognize the, the profound nature of his teaching. When you're reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and also Acts, we see that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and begins a new community. The Gospels are so obvious about Jesus. Obviously, they're about Jesus. Note, when you're reading the Gospels, they tie together the Old Testament with Jesus and tell the story how Jesus' followers started a new community. The book of Acts is the great pivot point of the New Testament, how this new community continued the ministry of Jesus by becoming a Jesus-centered community. Every church since then endeavors to do the same, become a people formed around the equalizing love of Jesus in order to carry out his mission and to reach all people with his good news. And then the New Testament letters, which were written among the churches and individuals after Jesus' death and his resurrection, this is Jesus being explained to communities. They all point back to Jesus. These letters are written to explain Jesus, to instruct communities of how to apply the profound love of God to their particular context and situations. It's all pointing back to Jesus. And then the final book of the Bible, which I'm reading through right now, I love it, is Revelation. Jesus is gloriously victorious in the present and in the future is the point of revelation. It's all about Jesus. 
This great mysterious book of Revelation gives us a glimpse into the future where Jesus rules and reigns as a victorious king. This book is hard for us. <laughs> Some make it into a fortune-telling book. I don't think that's what it is. They look for details to tell us exactly when Jesus may come. But the big point is to give us a vivid, poetic, and dramatic account of Jesus ruling all as the perfect savior, the perfect king, and the perfect judge. From beginning to end, every story, every account whispers his name. The scriptures are all about Jesus. That's about 15 minutes. So how do we begin to apply this to our lives? Like, what to do? <laughs> Be about Jesus. Here are three ideas for you. Read the scriptures with an eye for Jesus. Number two, when you don't understand something in the scriptures, read it through what you know of Jesus. You know that Christ died for you. You know that Christ refused to use the powers of the world to bring about good, but rather suffered so that you might live. When you begin to read the scriptures, you begin to in interpret it differently, have different sorts of questions when you're seeing it through the lens of Jesus. Get to know, thirdly, get to know Jesus first and then the rest of scripture. Get to know Jesus first, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get to know Jesus first and use him as the interpretive lens for the other aspects of scripture. Because Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He's the hero of my heart. I will never regret saying yes to Jesus. When I was 16 years of age, it felt like Jesus grabbed me by the sternum and he drew me to himself. And I've never looked back because not all of life makes sense, but it certainly starts to come into focus when Jesus is king and he's leading, saying, come and follow me. You see, Jesus is also the hero of the world. He's the savior of the world. Our world tends to think it's really smart and has lots of good answers, and we can sort our way through what is coming, but in actuality, only Jesus can sort us all out. He's the hero of the world. We've wandered far. You've wandered far. You've come off the path, and he wants to bring you on to the life because he's come all this way to find us from beginning to the end. The scriptures talk of this rescue you and God. I will be your God. You will be my people. Come and follow me. Let me take your burdens that you might find rest for your weary souls. This is the heart of God sending this prince, this king Jesus into your life so that you can be drawn to live with him, to heal you, to save you, to restore you, to give you back your dignity, to tenderly welcome you into his family. Once again, he's never left us, but we've left him and at great cost. He purchased your freedom, our freedom, and now gives us life. We only have to trust him again. And this is what the Bible is all about. Every story whispers the name of my Savior, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counsel, the Magnificent One, the Glorious One, the Light of the World, the Bread of Life, the Water of Life, over and over and over. It's pointing again and again and again that there is hope for every person who calls upon the name of the Lord because he's been calling the whole time. From beginning to end, scriptures whisper his name.